Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. I was asked a question the other day about this podcast. They asked me, since the name is Uncommon Sense Christianity and Politics, was it more about politics or religion? And I had to think about that for a second and admit that it does lean on the political side of things, but from a a Christian perspective. And it's not always that way. Oftentimes we do episodes that are purely faith-based. But most of the time, we look at what is going on around us and bring you the world as we see it through the lens of the church. So today, I want to take a look at some stories that really do affect Christians in some way. And and I understand that we have listeners of all different faiths and and some that are not Christian at all even. (laughs) And, And that's okay. We will continue to do what we do, and and you don't have to be a follower of Christ just to listen to our podcast. But when you do have a relationship with Christ, and, and he starts to change the way that you see things, it does give you an entirely different perspective on the world. Take this first story, for instance. It's It's a good example of what I'm talking about. From a series of articles from the Daily Wire comes this, the NFL quarterback who almost became the first rookie to take his team to the Super Bowl is a devout Christian. San Francisco 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy started seven games in the 2022 season and won all of them until Saturday. (laughs) Uh, Astonishingly, he was the last player selected in the 2022 season. NFL draft. They label that person Mr. Irrelevant. (laughs) The 49ers started the 2022 season with Trey Lance as as their quarterback, but he was injured and out for the year in the second game of the season. Don't remind me, he was on one of my fantasy football teams. (laughs) But uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, who led the San Francisco uh, team to the Super Bowl in 2020, succeeded him. But he was injured against the Miami Dolphins on December 4th. And in addition to being a super talented football player, I love the fact that Brock Purdy is so open about his faith in Christ. That statement right there was from Franklin Graham, who wrote on Facebook after the 49ers defeat, uh, after they defeated the, the Dallas Cowboys uh, just, just a week ago Sunday. Now, He also said, uh, or actually, this is a quote from Purdy. He says, it's been football, man. He said, I don't try to make it more than it is. I'm a faith-based guy. So that's how I stay grounded. And I don't look at football like it's literally everything. It's not. And And it's not even a do or die or anything like that, he said. It's a game, and it's a job for sure, and and I take it very seriously. But at the end of the day, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I, I'm not defined by the wins or losses, as a person like. That's not who I am. He continued. He also said, "I'm not just a quarterback. 
I wasn't born to just be a quarterback and play football. And, and that's it. Like, I have a life and everything like that. And I remember that. But at the same time, man, I'm a competitor. I love to compete and I want to win at all costs. And so I've been enjoying that as well as, so that's where I'm at, he said. That's how I stay grounded with it all. But I'm definitely thankful and blessed to be here. In in 2019, when he was the quarterback of Iowa State as a sophomore, Purdy told the sports spectrum that he wanted, quote, others to see God through my actions, unquote. Every time I step on the field, I want to bring him glory. Even when we lose, I point to God and thank him for the opportunity. Everything happens for a reason. It's all a lesson from the Lord. It's a game. It's not my life. It took me a long time to realize this. And I used to put football in front of the Lord. I would pray for him to keep me safe and to you know, give me a good game. But it isn't about that. Now I pray that I would make the most of the opportunity he's given me and win or lose, that I would put him first. This is directly quote from uh, from Purdy himself. Now, interviewed again in 2021 on this Sports Spectrum podcast, Purdy recalled when he first played football at Iowa State and his metamorphosis after a hard first week of fall camp prompting him to, to get on his knees and ask God to forgive him for making his relationship with Jesus Christ secondary to football. Quote, it was just a great reminder of where my identity is and where it lies. And it's in Jesus. And I continue to learn and to lean on him. Again, the next day, I didn't go out and throw for 500 yards and, and was this awesome quarterback. But it was just this peace that I had with him knowing that, hey, no matter what, I'm going to face moving forward during college football. God and Jesus are going to be my identity. And whatever I face, I won't be shaken from it. I've got a great foundation in him. That's exactly what he said. So, so you see, see what I mean when I say that when you have that saving relationship with Jesus, nothing should take priority over that. When you are involved with a sport of some kind, in, in today's world, it is supposed to be everything to you. So you say like Brock Purdy has, has here in, in football, it's, it's not the top priority in his life. Well, that's kind of uncommon, wouldn't you say? But no matter what we put first in our life, it's, it is always a spiritual battle. Those that hate God and his followers will always attack when, whenever and wherever they can. I mean, in fact, Father Leo uh, Patlingenhug, who put it this way in his opinion piece, he said, the battle between good and evil can be likened to a messy food fight. <laughs> I kind of like this, and I wanted you to hear it. God originally created food 
to foster health, unity, comfort, and goodness. But in the hands of the enemy, it creates the perfect opportunity for cancel culture to attack the, attack the dinner table and the people around it. During the riots of 2020, Chick-fil-A was a hit with a was hit with a wave of protest, even though its employees kindly serve everyone with a my pleasure type of thing. The owner, Dan Cathy, he's a Christian and didn't want to provide financial aid to the LGBTQ organizations. His company provided millions of dollars to support the homeless and the poor and the hungry. But that's not enough for cancel culture. These social justice warriors who supposedly respect diversity and 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 diverse experiences and defend freedom of expression did everything possible to destroy Jack Phillips. A, he he was the the cake decorator in Colorado. A gay couple sued Phillips for not decorating a wedding cake to celebrate their marriage because it went contrary to his Christian understanding of marriage. That gay couple went to great lengths to destroy this man's livelihood, and it took the Supreme Court to finally decide in favor of this man's uh, conscience and 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 the freedom of religion and and religious expression. This group wants to to force a Christian to make a cake for a same-sex wedding, but would never ask a vegan to serve burgers. Proponents of cancel culture want to be recognized as agents of high morality and principle, but they are hypocrites. They make demands like spoiled children, but they have more than tears and tantrums. They have powerful politicians, popular celebrities, access to 24 hours of op-ed media posing as, as news stations, and billions of dollars from powerful industries to cut down anyone who disagrees with them. The deeper reality is that the, um, the, the militant vegans want to impose a moral culinary cult on everyone, and they believe eating meat is cruel to animals. According to them, veganism will save the planet even though the planet existed just fine for millions of years without them. As a chef, I enjoy eating vegetables, but I am always confused as to why vegans try to mimic the taste of meat. <laughs> Have you ever thought of that? Ethical treatment of animals is a good thing. But at the end of the day, ethical treatment only helps to make a more quality product for slaughtering. Natural food is under attack, and so is the physical and mental health of humanity. Hypocrisy abounds in cancel culture. Its agents now vow to be uh, inclusive and all-embracing, but they create havoc to shut down restaurants with Christian owners and bully customers at these establishments because they vote differently. And worst of all, they want to save creation, but would gladly kill an unborn child. For them, another mouth to feed would be harmful to women. Yet, they cannot actually define a woman. <laughs> I wish that 
These examples were far and few between, but cancel culture has hit close to home. A few breweries in Baltimore have decided to bar my food truck from serving food to their patrons. The truck is not woke enough for them because they determined that as a chef and chef and a priest, I would impose my theological and moral views on their customers. They want to cancel the truck, even though we provide jobs for the formerly incarcerated and disadvantaged communities, while also providing food for the poor. Cancel culture wants to control who eats and when and what. They believe they have the moral authority to determine if someone goes hungry or feasts like a king. Thankfully, opponents of cancel culture are prepared. They can take comfort in the words of St. Teresa Avila, who said, quote, When it's time to fast, it's time to fast. But when it's time to feast, it's time to feast. And in time, the just will receive the reward at the heavenly banquet. Despite this dismal dietary outlook on what we're force-fed by cancel culture, we have a recipe for hope. The devil used food to destroy us, but Jesus becomes food to save us. We just have to hunger for God and the right things to put into our bodies, our minds, and our souls. That's why God became food. We will never have the complete victory in this earthly food fight, simply because We have to hunger for the eternal banquet of heaven. But to help us serve and digest the good, beautiful, and true aspects of life, I recommend a few simple ingredients. Eat with your family regularly. The benefits are scientifically proven. This shared act makes us companions, a word that describes sharing bread with others. Serve those who go without and consider eating with them. Charity and missionary work make us val- it makes us value every morsel as a gift from God and recognize that life is a gift. Celebrate the saints and other feast uh, days w- with, with gusto. Go ahead, drink a beer on St. Patty's Day, but also say a prayer to cast out the serpent who lies from uh, lies from our lives eat a bacon wrapped lamb chop on easter <laughs> but make sure you've fasted and confessed during lent feast and and fasting days are the the remedy to the the monotony of life which the devil wants to make tasteless and boring but sure to to discern what you're you're putting into your bodies with with healthy moderation, but but also consider how a healthy mind can make a make you spiritual wine stewards. Be experts of what you're consuming because you are what you eat, physically and spiritually. And finally, pray before you eat. Live a life of gratitude. And consider how every bite is a connection to God's creation and to the people who had a part in feeding you. Being grateful makes us conscious of the divine who can turn leftovers into feasts for the soul. 
Cancel culture's weaponization of food to divide and destroy will eventually backfire because its members will eventually cancel themselves. Thankfully, real food lovers will be on hand to nurse them back to sanity and health one meal at a time, just like Jesus did. Uh, bon appetit and win the war. <laughs> I really like that one. And, and, and speaking of winning the war, he mentioned the Masterpiece Cake Shop in, in his piece, and they now have a new lawsuit on their hands. Did you hear about this? On Thursday, a three-judge panel of the Colorado Court of Appeals ruled against Masterpiece Cake Shop baker Jack Phillips, arguing he violated the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act by refusing to bake a cake for a gender transition celebration. Now, critics of the ruling point to Phillips' earlier win at the Supreme Court, which we, we talked about, which narrowly ruled in his favor as the reason for the baker continues, the, the fact that he continues to be targeted by activists. In 2017, former Justice Anthony Kennedy, who wrote the, the majority opinion that, that some have argued, uh, essentially said Phillips could have lost um his Supreme Court case, if it didn't, if, if it hadn't been for Colorado officials openly disparaging Phillips and his Christian views, he might have lost that case at the Supreme Court. The narrow decision has allowed Phillips to continue to be persecu persecuted, critics say. At the Washington Examiner, uh, Quinn Hillier argued that the Supreme Court's search for the narrow possible, narrowest possible result merely invites further, seemingly endless rounds of new litigation. The latest lawsuit against Phillips comes from an activist attorney, Autumn uh, Scardina in Colorado, who called Masterpiece Cake Shop on the same day the Supreme Court announced it would be, it, that it would take his prior case in which he was accused of discrimination for refusing to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding. The attorney requested Phillips cre uh, create a custom cake that was pink on the inside and blue on the outside to celebrate a gender transition. According to the Alliance Defending Freedom, or ADF, which represents Phillips, the attorney also called back to request a cake depicting Satan smoking marijuana in order to correct the errors of Phillips' thinking. Phillips declined to make either cake because of the messages that they depicted. And the activist has now sued. Quote, naturally, Colorado's court ignored the patently offensive request for a Satan cake and instead again held Phillips responsible for illegal discrimination based on gender, his religious objections notwithstanding. Hillier wrote that today's affirmation by the uh, appeals court of a lower court's ruling takes ample advantage of the loophole left open by the Supreme Court while cherry-picking from other Supreme Court religious liberty decisions to reach its desired and anti-Phillips conclusion. Now, on Twitter, prominent conservative um, polymath also blamed the Supreme Court under Chief Justice John Roberts for the ongoing legal struggles of Masterpiece Cake Shop. Quote, 
The result of John Roberts pushing for the narrowest possible ruling in the earlier masterpiece case is that they continued uh, persecuting Jack Phillips for years. They will continue to do this to him until he dies. The appeals court on, on Thursday argued that Phillips only refused to bake the cake after learning the client was transgender and wanted to use the cake to celebrate his birthday and gender transition. This, thus, it was Scardina's tra- transgender status and her desire to use the cake in celebration of that status that caused Masterpiece's, uh, Masterpiece and Phillips to refuse to provide the cake. This is what the court wrote, arguing that the cake expressed no message. But ADL argues that Phillips works with all people and always decides whether to take a, a project based on what the message of the cake will express, not who is, re- who is requesting it. So in other words, they could very easily, she could have come in and requested any kind of cake and he wouldn't have cared if she was transition, transitioning or whatever she thinks she's doing. It, it was the message of the cake that made it so he didn't uh, want to make it. Quote, over a decade ago, Colorado officials began targeting Jack, misusing state law to force him to say things he does not believe. Then an activist attorney continued that crusade. The ADF said this in a statement. It said, this cruelty must stop. One need not agree with Jack's views to agree that all Americans should be free to say what they believe, even if the government disagrees with those beliefs. But, but a, a huge decision was the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and it has put many le- left, leftists into really a, a, a huge tailspin, uh, as, as reflected by this next story. A state court building in New York City unveiled a new art project that is not going over well online <laughs> the sculpture and if you haven't seen this sculpture you, you you can go online and you can see it real easily but the sculpture entitled now n-o-w was installed on the roof of the appellate division uh, courthouse in uh, new york state first department uh, on um uh, on madison avenue last week as part of an art exhibit from artist shalizia um, Sikander, I guess is, is the name. And the statue is meant to represent the legacy of the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But New Yorkers and other viewers on Twitter and, and other social media notice that the statue is both unsightly and unsettling. Uh, corporate consultant Andrew Beck uh, shared pictures of the art installation in a, a Twitter uh, thread said a new statue atop a New York City courthouse. The artist says it's part of an urgent and necessary cultural reckoning underway as New York considers traditional representations of power in public places and and uh, recast civic structures uh, to better reflect 21st century social mores. <laughs> The, the roof of the court building is lined with statues of famous lawgivers from history and, and legend. And the statue is situated on the corner of the building with brazen metal 
uh, standing out against the weathered stone statues next to it. Uh, it depicts a woman with a with uh, hair braided into long spirals like a like ram's horns or something, and and a, and a web of tentacles like like protrusions at, at, out of each arm, wearing uh, a lace apron like the one uh, Ginsburg wore over her robe, and standing on a pink lotus flower. Now the uh, a profile for the statue. Uh, written by uh, the New York Times, said that the statue is the first female figure placed on the court's uh, building, and she, the statue, is a, is a fierce woman and a form of resistance in a space that has historically been dominated by patriarchal uh, representation. <laughs> now, uh, the uh, the one who made the statue, this uh, sick uh, sickander, said that she ent- uh, entitled the piece now because it needed um, because it is needed in the current year when abortion rights are being challenged in the wake of the Supreme Court re- uh, returning abortion law to the states in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Now, Sickander uh, has another piece uh, with similar design uh, placed in the in the area. The statue on. Uh, uh, is an 18-foot-tall creation of the same figure, and it's actually uh, placed right across the street from this one. Um, they turned abortion into a pagan idol to worship and put it on a courthouse, Billy Grimbin, Grimbin communications director of the Republican uh, Georgia Congress Congressman um, Rich McCormick. He wrote in, 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 a, uh, in a tweet, he said, the New York courthouse has added this aesthetic atrocity to its uh, sculptures of great lawmakers. It's, uh, it is meant to honor Ruth Bader Ginsburg pro-abortion stance by depicting a woman with a demonic goat horns, with de- demonic goat horns, who has clearly lost the power of to reproduce or something. <laughs> but the next Republican mayor of New York should not only remove this, but destroy this monstrosity, said Michael Knowles. I mean, it, it's it really is bad. And it really is interesting that, that they would take this thing and they would, you know, if you if you just read the Old Testament and and the the statues that they would make uh, to blaspheme, uh, it, it, it's it's amazing that they that here in in the year twenty twenty three they're they're still doing it right. I mean, New York here's here's a quote: New York has put an um, egregious uh, Balfamet with uh, tentacles. Baphomet is a, um, it's a God that, uh, was, um, it, 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 it was, it was a God that people would worship instead of, of, uh, Yahweh and that type of thing. Uh, it has, it has tentacles, uh, you know, dangling into its own torso on top of the courthouse in order to better reflect 21st century social mores. This is what Brandon Meeks, uh, said. And he said, uh, here, here's another one. Uh, the ugliest, uh, the ugliness is the point. This is from the new foundation and America firebrand digital director, Logan Hall quote, what a visual desecration of the landscape. <laughs> that's, that's what America first legend, uh, foundation founder, Stephen Miller tweeted. 
Um, here's another one. Wow. The Balfamet uh, Aries symbolism is a lot. <laughs> and somebody else also chimed in on Twitter saying, especially given the, the opposite or sister sign uh, Libra, uh, Libra, who represents the scales of uh, balance or arms of justice. So, you know, it it is interesting to me that the left is so anti-God. But Jesus did tell us that this would be the case. I mean, it, if you look around, um, there, my wife is, is, is on a library board. She's the chairman of, of the library board in our area. And it covers a number of counties. It's a large library board. Um, but obviously what they're, they're dealing with right now is the, the drag queen story hour stuff. And, uh, and there's a lot of people that show up and want to have public comments. And it's interesting to me, it just, just talking about a library board meeting and the things that, that are said to the board members at this meeting. And, and so oftentimes the left, those that are in support of, of these leftist ideas and, and, and policies and things, they can't, they can't help themselves. They come out with these anti-God things. These things are just so hateful against Christians and whatnot. And it, it just spews out of their mouths. And it doesn't matter if they're, if they're just simply talking about, um, you know, the, the, the policies of this board. It, it, they, they, it just comes out. John 15, 18 through 19 says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And isn't that true? I would love to hear your stories of spiritual warfare. And you, you can always send them, of course, to UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.